The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. The Pre-Med Years, episode number 530. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Ears. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a great guest today who's very open on his application about having autism. He's gonna share why he was told not to include that stuff and why he did anyway. And it ultimately led to success. Before we jump in though, I wanna talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Planning your work is so important. When you are in the middle of your MCAT prep, everything feels crazy. It's all daunting. You're stressed out about the time that you have, the material that you have to cover, your test date looming, your applications if you're working on them. One of the best ways to reduce that stress is to make a plan. Use Blueprint MCAT's free study planner tool over at blueprintmcat.com today to create a study plan for you specifically, based on your timeline, based on your other responsibilities and work engagements and everything else, the Blueprint MCAT study plan tool will create the perfect personalized study plan for you. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com. Let's go ahead and jump into our episode today and say hello to Fox. Fox, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Dr. Gray. I'm excited to chat with you. When did you first realize you wanted to be a physician? So it was less of an epiphany and more of a slowly accumulating thing over my childhood and adolescence. Mm -hmm. Being diagnosed with a moderate form of autism at four, I immediately started receiving early intervention, ABA, uh, CBT, speech pathologists, and occupational therapists, what have you. And over time, seeing my neurologist and seeing my primary care physician and, and seeing what they uh, did for me um, and being engrossed in that sort of setting as a patient really sparked my interest in wanting to be on the other side and and giving back someday. Yeah, that that's awesome. So early diagnosis of autism. Uh, And I think how I found you was on Reddit where you were like, hey, I got into med school and I openly talked about my autism in my applications. Let's, Let's skip forward a little bit and talk about that process of applying to medical school, being very open about your autism and what you've overcome or what you've just lived with, uh, with autism and applying to medical school. Did anyone give you advice not to talk about that kind of stuff? It's funny you say that because virtually everybody I talked to told me not to disclose my autism. Mm -hmm. 
and you decided to why because it's just such an integral aspect of who i am as a person to withhold it would be to not talk about who i am it would just be a completely different person yeah it's it's hard and and my general stance is if you're going to talk about something that may be a potential red flag and it is core to why you want to be a physician, which in, in our opinion is the whole goal of the personal statement, then you're probably going to have to talk about it. Now, the question then comes down to how do you talk about it if you are going to talk about it? So you decide, hey, look, this is who I am. This is my authentic self. Take it or leave it. But there's a difference potentially between airing all of your dirty laundry and touching upon the fact that you've had autism since you were four. Which which side did you more skew towards? So I, instead of talking about my disorder as if I accomplished things in despite of it, I talked about how I accomplished what I did uh, because of it, how my autism gave me a unique perspective and skill set that made me a invaluable asset to medical schools and their student body and and so forth. Interesting. Okay. And how how did you frame those things? For for so, someone for someone else just just give more context to that, right? So for someone else out there who is on the spectrum if that's an okay term to use, um they may be sitting here going, well, I don't want to talk about it. Or if I do talk about it, I'm not sure how to talk about it. So obviously, you've gotten into medical school. Congratulations. I'll, I'll uh, spoil that surprise. Um, although I think I mentioned it earlier. Um, but the the question for someone listening to this will be like, well, what what was that line for you? And then what was that that angle that you took? So how how did you frame those conversations? So I primarily focused on my anecdotal experiences gained from my extracurricular activities, Mm -hmm. stuff like being a direct care worker for people on the spectrum or being an ER technician and having patients who are on the spectrum Um, and, and talking about how being on the spectrum, I'm able to empathize with these neurodiverse patients and I'm able to help calm them and make them feel heard and, and, and welcomed and understood in a way that someone who isn't neurotypical would not necessarily immediately know how to approach the situation. Okay. So s- similar to just a, a basic kind of analogy is someone who may have this amazing leadership experience because they were president of their fraternity and they're going to say, hey, this leadership experience is going to help me be a leader. You're saying, hey, because of my neurodiversity, I'm able to interact with other neurodiverse patients in a way that maybe a neurotypical person wouldn't. And and so that's a skill set that I'm bringing to the class. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Let, let's talk about p- potentially the fact that neurodiversity although i think is 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 becoming more and more common because it's being diagnosed and we're we're finding more people that are neurodiverse a lot of your patients aren't going to be neurodiverse did, so did you have a a concern of like okay great you can take care of the neurodiverse patients but what about all of the other patients you know i did have a lot of self doubt i think that was 
externally instilled because there are some preconceived notions about people on the spectrum and their capacity for empathy yep. um, or being able to work, you know, in a team um, amongst other things. But when I started at my first hospital volunteering in the emergency department, I quickly realized that I was perfectly capable of empathizing with my patients and, and working in a team. I just needed to throw myself in that environment. Mm. Okay. Do you, do you think, and this may sound like a weird question, do you think it's a, a skill that you practice or do you think that kind of preconceived notion of like, oh, people on the spectrum can't empathize, they don't look people in the eye, all of that normal stereotypical stuff. Do you think that's just like you you can't paint with a broad stroke like that and you're out here like, like I'm an empathetic person. It's just like, <laughs> yes, I'm on the spectrum and I'm, I'm empathetic. So I have about 10 years of social dynamic skills classes that I had to go through. Wow. And I went to countless, you know, summer and overnight camps for people on the spectrum. And a lot of people that I know in my community are on the spectrum. And something that I've noticed is that pretty much all of us are very empathetic people. It's just that we have trouble figuring out how to properly place that empathy. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, it, it sounds like you've been privileged, if that's the right word, to have a lot of of coaching, training, education, therapy around your diagnosis. Do you think that's made a big difference in, in your success to where you've gotten to today? I think it has because not everyone is able to receive those services on an equivalent level. And that's one of the biggest things when it comes to moderate and mild autism is early intervention. Yeah, it's huge. It's definitely huge. So let's let's rewind a little bit and talk about the the journey. So you you go to college. Were you pre-med right away when you were in college? No. So I actually went to um, a state school uh, before my local school that I graduated from. I went there for two years, but I lacked the emotional intelligence to go to my classes and and actually do well. So I ultimately um, I ultimately racked up eleven withdrawals over three semesters wow. and ended up dropping out of my first state college entirely. Okay. I mean, 11 withdrawals is better than 11 F. So at least you were, you were smart enough to do that, um, which I, I talked to lots of people who, who kind of forget to do that withdrawal part. And then they have F's all over their transcript. So you, you go to this state school, you said you weren't pre-med. What, what was your idea when you were going to college? What, what were you planning on doing? So I wanted to be a physician at my first college. It's okay. just that I had no idea as to how the process even works. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that I had to do extracurriculars or shadow a physician or what have you. Yeah. So you, you were the typical clueless pre-med of like, I want to be a doctor. I just, I guess I apply and get in like any, <laughs> like just like college, you just apply and get in. Right. Um, and so you, you go off to college and you, you struggle some, do you, do you think the, 
that transition to college from a neurodiversity standpoint um, is what kind of made you struggle a little bit more? Do you think it was just a very typical first time away from home, normal kind of college jitter stuff? I would say both. Mm -hmm. I'd say like any other freshman, incoming freshman, you get that homesickness and that newfound independence. You don't exactly know what to do with yourself. But for me, and for a lot of other neurodiverse uh, people that I know, it's exacerbated by, uh, you know, when you're in high school, you have an individualized education plan if you have a disorder. Uh, and it focused primarily on social skills more than academic. I actually was held back from like algebra one in middle school when I got an A and I ended up not taking calculus my senior year of college because it snowballs like that. And I was entering a freshman level calculus in college, never seeing it before. And Mm. that definitely put me at a disadvantage to my neurotypical peers. Yeah. When, when it came to going and exploring the extracurriculars, once you figured out that that was something you had to do, transferring schools, all of that, all that fun stuff. Who along the way gave you the the most motivation that you, as someone with this neurodiversity, can can accomplish anything you want? I would definitely say. Uh, I would definitely say the leader of the volunteer group at my local college I graduated from. Mm -hmm. Uh, My college had this thing where you could join uh, tens of different volunteer groups and it would place you in a different uh, field, in a different position. And I chose the one for my local emergency department to volunteer there. And the the leader of it was this junior pre-med who was uh, kind of a quiet guy and, and, and didn't really talk a lot about the process. But at the same time, I was someone who asked a lot of questions and he seemed to actually appreciate that. And we had some good moments, like heart to heart moments about how it all works. And just seeing him go through it, someone three years ahead of me, just fully engrossed in the process of applying to medical school as much as it was daunting, it was oddly empowering and motivating at the same time. Yeah. Did you have any neurodiverse peers that were going through this one step ahead of you that you could you could lean on for support or just for guidance? No, unfortunately, I, I don't know anyone else um, who's openly neurodiverse uh, yeah. <laughs> and applying. That that was the key word. I, I'm glad you said it because I was going to bring it up, right? It, that that open is is the key word, right? It, and it's so weird. Um, it, it almost reminds me of like the the LGBT community, like the the first openly gay football player. I'm like, well, I'm I'm sure there's plenty more that aren't openly gay that are in the league. Um, but it's it's very interesting that that you you caught that right of like I'm the only one out here that's kind of screaming from the rooftops. Does that scare you that you're so open about kind of the the neurodiversity? Does it does it have to be scary? And and again, I think this is a it's a tough conversation for me who's I think neurotypical. I'm sure we all have a little neurodiversity in us, um, but the fact that 
we in the neurotypical world kind of consider neurodiversity as like, ooh, that's we we don't want to talk about that. All right. It, it's it's almost still out in the shadows. And you're out here going like, hey, <laughs> come on in. There's there's nothing to see here. We're just we're just hanging out like you are. I would say it's it's scary in so far that there's not really someone else in my position that I can that I can seek guidance from. Yeah. Um, so when I share things on different social media platforms and get criticism for it, you know, I'm just like, oh, well, that, that sucks. I guess I was wrong in that instance. Um, but at the same time, I mean, someone has to, someone has to do it. I mean, I don't think that I'm, I'm just some guy, right? I'm nobody <laughs> special. I'm just, it just feels right to me. That's all. It just feels like it's what I'm supposed to be doing with myself. Yeah. There is, I, I it's, it's random. I, I didn't think about this before our call, but then I was like, oh, there's, there's a TV show out there that portrays a neurodiverse physician on TV. Do you think that's good or bad for, for students like yourself? I think that uh, it's a double-edged sword. It's always great to bring more representation in media. Mm-hmm. Um, in a nuanced uh, if you look at it like from a nuanced lens, the 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 show portrays him as autistic, but what allows him to excel um, as a as a surgeon is his savant syndrome. Mm. Um, that's primary, but it's portrayed as secondary, which is fine. I mean, it's better that the general public has more awareness and knowledge of autism, but it's always going to be a double edged sword, you know. Yeah. When you were out um, and on your interviews, how, how many interviews did you end up getting this cycle? I had I had three interviews, three interviews. How did those interviews go? Do you feel and, and obviously you only have your experiences, but do you feel like interviewers potentially treated you differently? Did they poke and prod about being on the spectrum? What, what was that like for you? I would say for the most part, it wasn't really made a deal out of. Um, they all went by really quickly just because of how uh, nervous I was. <laughs> yeah. And one of them was a MMI. So okay. there wasn't really a chance for that to be explored sufficiently. Yeah. But for the other two, I did make an effort to center my conversation around how I did all this and I also am neurodiverse Um, and they didn't seem as if they didn't appreciate it, but of course, you know, I'm coming from an applicant's perspective, so I can only uh, assume so much. Yeah. What was the most, uh, if you got one, what was the most straightforward question about your neurodiversity? I pretty sure I remember I forget if it was PCOM or if it was Jefferson, but I specifically remember asking like, or being asked like, what about my autism makes me like different than, or not what about my autism, but like why, like, why does that make me unique? Like, how is that going to be any different than anyone else in terms of, succeeding in medical school and 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 providing 
competent care for for patients and and working in a team with your fellow physicians and, and mid levels and nurses. Yeah. When when you look forward to your time in medical school, there's there's lots of studying, lots of learning, and that's just general student stuff, but there's a lot of clinical experiences. There's interacting with the attendings that are out there. And and medicine is still, unfortunately, known to be a pretty conservative world. We still have lots of crusty old white guys running the show in lots of places. And, and you are going to be not in a derogatory term, but the oddball out, right? You're, you're going to be the one that is different from a neurodiversity standpoint than other people. How do you prepare for that to prepare for potentially? And I think I, this is the same conversation potentially for people of color and, and other underrepresented minorities who are potentially going into these predominantly white institutions and saying, hey, like, I, again, I'm, I'm the oddball out here. I stand out compared to the crowd. How do you prepare for that? You know what? I honestly don't know, but <laughs> I will tell you that I, you know, I've been working in uh, emergency department as a, as a technician for uh, the past year. And previously I was a, an EMT for the past two years and every uh, institution, every department that I was a part of, I, I did end up finding kind of my niche mm-hmm. uh, or my, my, my kind of spot in the group. Um, I've found that as long as I, you know, am able to do the work that I'm assigned and, 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 and to do it well, people really don't care if I am a little weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just, that's just what, you know, that's, that's what I've experienced thus far. It might be different once I hit my rotations um, or my, my residency. Mm -hmm. um, But I I feel pretty comfortable as of now with uh, meshing with, with groups of people. That's awesome. I, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned that, right? The, this weirdness. And it, it sounds like um, I, I believe the right term is like masking, right? For, for neurodiverse people to try to play not uh, neurotypical, right? You mask. Um, and you can correct me if that term is wrong, but it, it sounds like potentially you have figured out your spot in this world on the spectrum as a neurodiverse individual, as a pre-med student, as a future medical student, as a future physician. It doesn't sound like you mask much, if at all. And that's because I actually mask very well. Okay. Um, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like, you can't tell if someone's masking, um, if they're masking well, and you can tell if they're masking, if they're not masking well, because the whole point of masking is it's sort of a, it's sort of a compensation of one's inability to naturally be, or acting in accordance with what's expected of, of, of a neurotypical person. Yeah. Um, it's a conscious effort. I'm, I'm con I'm constantly, uh, retrieving what I've learned from my social dynamic classes and having to analyze people's faces. And it can be quite exhausting sometimes, but I mean, it's also exhausting for just someone who is introverted or yeah. even someone who is a people person and they were at their friend's house for six hours talking about the sport sports. Um, I don't really see it as something that, is ultimately detrimental. It's, 
you know, more like a, a muscle that you work and it gets better with time. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I love how you, you presented it in that way because I, I was just thinking as you were saying, right, you as someone who uh, is neurodiverse going through kind of your your um, classes and training and, and education to to help you mask, I guess. I mean, and, and myself who uh, was raised in the family that I was raised in and, and taught skills and not taught skills and, and going to therapy. Uh, I, I have a therapist and I go to therapy and I, I learn skills just like you as a neurodiverse person are learning skills to, to uh, navigate life and to meet these social norms. Um, so it, at the end of the day, I, again, like, it's interesting how you frame it that way. And then I'm like, oh yeah, it's just like me going to therapy. <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, and and interacting with my spouse and my kids and and the rest of society in a way that's expected that maybe I just, I wasn't raised with some of those skills. And so I go to therapy for them. It's interesting. Yeah, because what it does is it hearkens to this idea that there is a, a subjectivity to neurotypicalness. Of, of course, there is things such as the maladaptive nature and the, uh, you know, pathophysiology of these disorders. But at the same time, as you said, like you can have obsessive compulsive tendencies, but not have obsessive compulsive disorder. You can be anxious, but not have general anxiety disorder. Yep. Everyone has a component of some sort of neurodiverse feature. (laughs) We're all on the spectrum. (laughs) In a, in, a, in a way, yes, it's it's just realizing that it's trying to shed light into it and remove this taboo that we're all pretending to take seriously, because at the end of the day, there really is no taboo. We're all neurodiverse in some shape or form, and society just needs to learn to better accommodate all of our quirks, if, if that's, you yeah. know, if you we'll put it that way. Yeah, you you mean we need to be more accepting of diversity in all forms? <laughs> Shocker, right? <Yeah. laughs> that's, that's how we that's how we get along more. It's amazing. Right. Um, for for the neurotypical student or those who maybe assume they're neurotypical student uh, listening to this, right? Your future classmates, your future colleagues. What do you want them to take away from this conversation to better support? their neurodiverse classmates, colleagues, you in the future? Don't be afraid to ask questions. Mm. Um, I, my, myself, as well as some that I, some other neurodiverse people that I know are more than happy to answer your questions about neurodiversity Uh, it's kind of, you know, because of the fact that it is a disorder, you know, it's not appropriate to just go up to someone and say, Hey, what medical conditions do you have? But at the same time, you know, schools such as the one I was accepted to, they're hosting neurodiverse sessions and, and we're having these conversations and, you know, what better way than to just do, you know, newly minted medical students are so good at asking questions because that's what they did for the past four years to get to where they are. <laughs> yep. So just keep asking questions. Um, ask me about my autism. Ask me about, you know, how 
I empathize and how I read faces and body language and how I think about social norms. Cause it might surprise you what my answer is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I, I don't talk about it much. I, I have a kid with, with a disability and, and we get lots of staring and lots of like inquisitive looks, but nobody really asks questions. And I would love like, just come up and ask like, Hey, why do you use crutches like that? Or why do you have a scooter? Why do you like the, these questions that is like, just, just be kind, uh, be inquisitive, don't be judgmental. Um, and, and just, just ask questions to learn. And I, I like how you framed it. Like medical students for the last four years are asking questions. And so, yeah, it's, it's just an extension of that. So that's, that's awesome. When you were looking at schools, right? You, you mentioned that the school that you were accepted to is hosting these events for neurodiversity. H- how did you find schools where you thought you would be both accepted and supported? So I probably should have done that. Um, what I actually did is what I would not recommend. <laughs> and I just, I applied to all the schools in my vicinity. Okay. Um, I didn't really look that much into um, fit. Uh, and the reason why is because I was sort of forced to cast a wide net um, because I have fairly low stats. Um, so I didn't want to be a choosing beggar, essentially. Interesting. Okay. So you you focused on vicinity. Did you focus on vicinity for support, family support, and and just your, your community? Uh, what what was the reason for yes. for focusing on on the um, vicinity that you're in? That primarily is the reason. Is because okay. of my extracurricular activities. I have such strong ties to my city mm-hmm. um, that it would be it would be very much so preferable to stay in said city and continue with my working relationships in the area. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, which fortunately I was able to accomplish. Yeah, when you received your acceptance. Who's the first person you told? I actually told my brother. I was supposed to tell my mom, but it was just, he called me just right after I got the acceptance. And I just said to him, Hey, I, I need to tell you something. Don't tell mom. I told you, but. I got accepted to medical school and it was, I didn't even believe the words that were coming out of my mouth. It was so surreal. I was waiting for past their recommended deadline to hear back. And I was just, it was the day before Christmas Eve. And I knew that if I didn't hear back right then and there, it would be two more weeks to hear back (laughs) and up all those things. And it culminated into this, congratulations, you've been accepted to, you know, PCOM. And I just knew that the next four years of my life were going to be this new, amazing, but terrifying journey. Yeah. That's a, that's awesome. That's awesome. When you look ahead again, we, we talked about kind of the, the preparations for what you're about to face. Are you continuing with some of these skills classes again, I don't know the right terminology for, for your, your therapies that you're, um, going to, or have had in the past. Do you continue those? Do you, uh, what, what, what do you do to make sure that you continue to, 
um, to have the skills necessary, both from just a general standpoint and from a future physician standpoint? So I pretty much have finished my social dynamic uh, skills classes mm-hmm. back in high school. Cause mm-hmm. that was primarily stuff like understanding uh, social conventions and, you know, mores and folklores and, and what have you. Yeah. Um, a lot of sociology stuff really. Um, now what it is, it's developing my interprofessional relationships as a future physician mm. and, and in my relation, my, my working relationship with my, my colleagues and my patients and, and with myself. So it's, it's definitely much more of a, it's much less of a, um, learning how to do things that neurotypical people can do and more of a, uh, focusing more on self uh, actualization and and internalization and and self reflection. Interesting. For those out there listening to this right now who are on the spectrum, who have whatever neurodiversity they have, uh, they're dealing with imposter syndrome, like you mentioned earlier. What what words of wisdom do you have for them as they go through this process? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You do not need to disclose um as we've discussed there's still a, a a taboo and it very well could hurt your application and this is just my opinion but in my opinion it's probably the best thing that you can do for neurodiversity for for yourself for your neurodiverse peers and for the future of our role in medicine um, and I would encourage you to do so. And if you do choose to do so, you have my full endorsement and you are more than welcome to constantly ask me questions about how to do it because man, I wish I had someone that I could have asked a year ago. All right. So there you have it again, Fox talking about his journey to medical school, being super open about his autism. For all of you out there, it's a very common question. Should I should I talk about this? Should I explain this? Should I expose myself? And on, on the application, the only advice that I can give you is you have to be true to yourself. And yes, potentially understanding that there may be some ramifications on the back end. We have a couple other great episodes coming up with other students who were in similar predicaments. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our amazing episodes for free. Just subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.